Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast Podcast. with host A. Trunk. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, including great spots like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and for subscribers, SiriusXM's app. You can get this podcast in a variety of ways, always free. Thank you for checking it out, and thank you for listening each and every week. As I tell you guys each and every week, the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show. That is Trunk Nation, and that is heard on Volume, Sirius XM Channel 106, every day live Monday through Friday in the U.S. and Canada, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern, or anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. If you're only listening to the podcast, you're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on volume. Please join me each and every day for Trunk Nation if you're in America or Canada. And if you're not, well, enjoy the podcast and getting a little taste of what I am doing with artists and interviews. Thank you so much for subscribing and checking it out. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, We have a a bunch of stuff to get to this week. We have two great interviews. We'll start with Miles Kennedy this week and then bring you Anthrax's co-founder and drummer, Charlie Benanti. Before we get to the interviews, I want to remind you about some upcoming appearances. Now, as things are opening in the U.S. and around the world, touring is happening, shows are happening. It's a great thing to see. And I'm back out there on the road with a ton of stuff going on including on June 11th, I'll be in Patchogue, New York, hosting a show at Stereo Garden with Dee Snyder. That's also going to be shot for an upcoming live stream. July, uh, June, June 18th, I'm really excited about this. June 18th, join me in McKinney, Texas, outside of Dallas, at the Guitar Sanctuary. I'll be doing a speaking Q&A show. Always have a good time at these events. And anybody that comes in person, you get free drinks free beer and free wine coolers included with the price of ticket, which is like 20 bucks. You cannot beat that deal. So tell your friends, come on out. We'll have some fun. We'll tell some stories. We'll do some Q and a it's all going down June 18th, McKinney, Texas, the guitar sanctuary outside of Dallas. Then June 19th, I'm in Oklahoma city, the diamond ballroom hosting dirty honey and joyous wolf. 
June 25th, Warehouse Live in Houston, hosting Warrant, Lita Ford, and Bullet Boys. June 26th in Tulsa, back at the IDL Ballroom, hosting Lita Ford. And then we get into July, 4th of July weekend. I am at the M3 Festival, Columbia, Maryland, hosting that at Meriwether Post Pavilion. Uh, July 11th, Corning, California, Rolling Hills Casino, Skid Row Warrant Winger Autograph. July 31st, Sweetwater Pavilion, Fort Wayne, Indiana, hosting Warrant and Eric Martin. And August 14th, join myself, Don and Jim for a That Metal Show reunion comedy show, First Energy Park, Lakewood, New Jersey. Rocklahoma is coming up Labor Day weekend. Tons of stuff going on. Take a look at the homepage of eddytrunk.com. If I am coming to you or near your area, by all means, come on out and see me. Hope to say hello. Also, quick note on the June 18th McKinney show at the Guitar Sanctuary, the speaking Q&A show, that is also going to be live streamed. So if you are not in the Dallas area and cannot attend in person, you can buy a streaming ticket and watch the whole thing. Go to theguitarsanctuary.com or hit the link off of eddytrunk.com and get your ticket virtually for the stream or in person. The virtual ticket does not come with free beer, though. <laughs> you got to come out to join me for that. We'll do a little stump the trunk. Going to be a fun time. Uh, social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddytrunk.com is the website. We have first up on this week's podcast, Miles Kennedy. Miles joined me a couple weeks ago on the volume show talking about his new album, The Ides of March. It is a great record. I really, really enjoy it. It's his second solo album. Miles Kennedy, one of my favorite artists out there, does so much great stuff. Alter Bridge slash solo, just so much great music that he has given us and continues to give us with three different projects. His latest solo album is really killer. Check it out. We'll talk about it with Miles. That's up first. And then second in a extended podcast this week, Charlie Benanti, a co-founder of Anthrax, the band's drummer. What a lot of people may not know about Charlie is even though he is the band's drummer, he is also the chief music writer of the band and plays a lot of guitar and is a very all-round talented guy. Charlie, like a lot of artists during the lockdown, did a lot of things online with pairing up with other musicians and covering songs and stuff like that. And he did something I think that's pretty smart. He took all of his streaming performances with all of these different artists and put them together in an album that he's calling Silver Linings that's out now. So we talk a little bit about the artists that he covered and the decision to put an album out of them from his quarantine performances. And that album is also out now. So we start with Miles. We finish with Charlie. Two great guests this week on the Eddie Trunk podcast. I think you'll enjoy both conversations. And I appreciate both of them being on with me. We'll get to them right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 
All right, first up, as mentioned, Miles Kennedy. You know him from Slash's band. You know him from Alter Bridge. And now he has a solo career as well. His second solo album, The Ides of March, is out now. Here's Miles to tell us all about it and more. All right, now let's uh, welcome in. I see him on my screen. We welcome the great Miles Kennedy. This is like a big, this is like uh, the eve of a big day for Miles. His second album, the Ides of March is available tomorrow, and he joins us now on Trunk Nation. How are you, brother? How you doing? I'm great, Eddie. Good to see you. Good to great see you. To see this is, uh, I got the record right here on my favorite format, CD. Very excited. Right. I've been listening to it. It sounds great. We'll get into it here in a second. But how do you, like, you've put out, obviously, records with Alter Bridge and Slash. Now the second record under your own name how do you feel like the day before the world hears it? Are you, do you get wrapped up in like what the reaction is? Do you Are you a guy that reads comments, reads reviews, or do you just like to have it pushed out there and on to the next? And you don't, you know, for better or worse, you don't want to hear what people say. Well, let's just say I learned my lesson early on. If you are uh, brave enough to venture into comment sections, you're a better <laughs> man than I. Yeah, I, 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 when it comes to reviews or, or, or comments or any of that, I tend to just kind of put the blinders on and I keep looking ahead. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a funny one because I feel like to, to, if I'm happy with something, uh, I guess my standards are high enough you know i kind of drive myself crazy writing and if 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 i'm comfortable with it and i feel like it's ready to go then i'm i'm fine with that and hopefully somebody else enjoys it as well but uh, i guess at the end of the day i'm i'm my own worst critic so i don't need anyone else to help beat me up <laughs> you know so so you're ma but you what you're saying basically is you make records that make you happy and that you think is the best that you can do for, for yourself selfishly. And, and I believe that's the way it should be, by the way. And you, you block out the outside distractions and you know, it's the best you could do and it's what you wanted to do and let the chips fall where they may be on that. Is that accurate? Especially for the solo stuff. I mean, the, the solo realm is such a selfish endeavor that I, I need to do for me. Uh, you know, I think with like, say with Alter Bridge, there's, we're more, first of all, it's, you're compromising because you're, you have co-write, you're, you're co-writing. So right. there's that. And there's also understanding your fan base and what they like, but with the solo thing, that's why I started, you know, integrating this into the other, other, you know, the, into the, into orbit, because I just have this, have always had this other side. I have such a, I don't want to say strange taste in music, but an eclectic, uh, taste in music. And, and my theory has always been, look, I, I like sushi. Do I want to eat sushi every single night? No. And I'm the same way with what I listen to. So it's all, it's all over the place. And when it came to having the opportunity to make solo records, then I wanted it to manifest some of those other, uh, musical interests that I have. And, um, you know, I'm, I feel like it's been really helpful to, to be able to kind of purge this because then when I go back to say Alter Bridge, I've, I've gotten it out of my system. I'm ready to, you know, turn up the gain and play riff rock, you know? 
Yeah, well, obviously this record, uh, The Ides of March, again, it's out tomorrow, is a very different record than what your first solo record was, uh, Year of the Tiger. That record was more acoustic-based. That record was very personal to you. There was a theme, a story running through it, a concept. This album is uh, a little of everything on here. There really is. So that obviously is where you wanted to go. I mean, I, I know that for you, and we've talked about this before, for people that don't know, you toyed with the idea and actually made a solo record prior to Year of the Tiger that you still never put out. So Year of the Tiger really opened it, and that was that there was a I would imagine a defined goal with that record. And now with this second record and going forward, you you've got that taken care of, and you can kind of be all over the map here with what you want to do as a solo artist. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I although I promise I won't I won't put out a polka record. I, I won't go that far. <laughs> Miles Kennedy raps. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Eddie. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think once the that that year of the tiger, it's it, you know, what's really fascinating is with year of the tiger, like leading up to the release of it, because it was so different. Yeah, there was a little bit of, I guess, for lack of a better word, anxiety about how it would be received because it was so different from what I was known for, and I think once that was established and it was just either you know it was just like here here it is this is this is the way it's going to be this is what i need to do and i think once i made peace with that and really i feel like i've really evolved to some point uh as a as as far as how i how i look at the world and how i how i deal with my own emotions to where on the eve of the release i don't feel any sort it's just kind of like it's another day it's done it's going to be th thrown out to the universe and you know then you just keep looking ahead and i've got more, way more songs to, to focus on writing and and uh i think that's some of it as well interestingly enough look i'm no spring chicken anymore you know i don't who knows what can happen and while i'm on this planet i'll be damned if i'm going to worry spend so much time worrying about opinions versus worrying about writing more material while I'm still here. So I think that's, that's, that's the big change for me is just continuing to look forward. You, you know, you talk about songwriting and obviously you are now in a position where you are writing, I would imagine for three different things. You're writing with Slash in mind, you're writing with you know, Mark for Alterbridge, and now you're writing as a solo artist as well. When you write, do you write specifically like I'm writing for next solo record, I'm writing for Slash, I'm writing for Alterbridge, or do you just write and then you, when it's done, you decide what bucket it might go in? Generally, I know what's what's waiting in the wings, and so I'll focus on that. Um, occasionally, there'll be that anomaly where it's like you're you're writing, you're like you step back after a few hours, and you go, eh, "That's probably better suited for one of these other entities." Uh, the, the 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 beauty is is that they're all so different, and once in a while, you'll have something that kind of straddles the fence. I, I would even venture to say. You, you could you could argue that in stride, you know, I had friends when they first heard that they're like, oh, that could almost worse work in SMKC land. But for me, the thing is, is because I utilized the, the, the resonator and the slide and also because it's such a different process with uh, with the conspirators and slash because essentially slash will send me a demo of the of the music bed 
riffs, the chord progression, and then I put my melodies and, and lyrics to it. So it's a totally different process. And with, with, uh, Alter Bridge, Mark and I come together and we've got our various ideas and we somehow fuse them together like a sonic puzzle. So it's, you know, the, I think that the, the entire process is so different between all three things that that also makes it a lot easier. They're, they're very rarely do I worry too much about, you know, something stepping on the other's foot. Is there anything on this record or that was on Year of the Tiger that you had written and thought or maybe even brought to Slash or to Alter Bridge and nobody felt it was right and ended up going on your solo record? No, no, no nothing. In fact, most of this stuff was written in was written between March and June or July of 2020 with two exceptions there there's a song called love rain down and a song called wanderlust begins which were actually written about 11 years ago and i demoed i demoed uh, love rain down and, and it kind of made the rounds with some of some of my uh friends and and partners in crime so to speak and Mark Tremonti in particular was like, when are you going to record, when are you going to actually record that song, Love Rain Down? It's one of my favorite songs you've ever written. So knowing, you know, somebody that I respect as a writer and they say that, I'm like, hmm, well maybe, maybe this record would be the ideal time to go ahead and, and do the actual, do a version that's released. Now, I should also say that that song was recorded once before. So I've done three versions of that song. I did the demo and then I recorded it for my the the mystery solo record number one which was never released which and, i'm eternally fascinated by records like that so one of these right. days it has to come out <laughs> i you know i i'm sure it will i'm sure something will will eventually come 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 it, it, it'll it'll find its way but what's interesting don't let is it that's... be posthumously miles you know you don't oh, want to be no. like you know god god forbid going into the let's go into the miles vault and see what he left behind put it out <laughs> while you're still with us please don't wait 50 years <laughs> yeah but yeah okay all right that's a good i'll, I'll definitely <laughs> take that into consideration thank you Eddie. not to be uh, morbid but you know you yeah, just said you weren't a spring chicken i'm not either <laughs> i know i know it's just such a oh man will someone please invent some some sort of a pill so that I, we, we can just be here forever i think elon um, musk is working on it now I, yeah he probably is he probably <laughs> well they say i'm i like this sort of thing i'm interested in all that stuff and i was reading some book about like uh, essentially w how what they see in the future and they say like in a hundred years people are going to be living to be well over a hundred and so maybe we'll make it who knows yeah, yeah maybe but you know it, what you said about mark saying that he liked that song and when are you going to do it so that leads me to think like did mark not say hey maybe you and i work that up and we do it in alter bridge or he knew that that was mainly earmarked for your solo thing yeah, I think he knows that a song like that, we both do. I, I think a song like that would, I don't know if it'd fit really in Alter Bridge world. You know, it was a song that was inspired by, do you remember there's a record in the, it was a big record in the 90s uh, that Eric Clapton put out when he did the MTV Unplugged. And he had a song on there that it was a cover of of, of a Big Bill Brunsey song called Hey Hey. And when I heard that song, I was like, wow, I, I, that was my favorite song on that record. So I spent a lot of time learning it and then worked on that technique and thought i'd like to write something with that same technique and that's where that came about so to try and do something that was the spawned initially from someone like big bill brunzi and take that into alter bridge world i just felt like i don't know how that would fly you know 
Mm. You know, let me ask you this too. For now, I know this, and some people know this, but maybe others don't, because you're so well known for your voice, which is incredible. Everyone knows that. But you love guitar, and you are a guitar nerd, and you love playing and learning, and you're you're, you're a, a great guitar player as well. And obviously, in Slash, you you barely play, if at all, because of course you're in a band with Slash. And in Alter Bridge, people who have went to see and know Alter Bridge well know that you and Mark do play, uh, you know, the guitars, and it is more of a a split thing. But for you, for for this, not only is the solo record a great catalyst for your solo writing, but I would imagine for you being such a guitar nut, the ability to to have something where you what play 100% of the guitars is really special. And I would think that's a great outlet for you at doing solo. Am, am I on the mark with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something, it's probably my, maybe my favorite part of the whole thing is that, you know, I can, I can stretch out and, get, and kind of get back to where I started. I mean, I started, as, as you know, I started as a guitar player. I didn't intend to be a singer and, until I started writing songs. And I was like, well, I guess I better learn to do this. But yeah, it's a, uh, I do love the guitar and I also love any, anything with strings. So on these solo records, I get to play mandolin and on the last record, I played banjo and on this record, you know, on this record, more lap steel. That's probably my favorite of all of them outside the electric guitar. It's just such an expressive instrument. So, so yeah, you know, it, I get to get to explore all of that. And, um, it, it really is something that it just, I, to this day, I can't, I just can't imagine life without a guitar, you know, recently, actually, you know, truth be told, uh, when I was making this record, I was playing so much leading between writing and woodshedding. And I was also playing on older vintage guitars and those older vintage guitars have a different radius, especially those old fenders. So the radius is like, so you have a neck, right? And the neck is, um, they, as as time has gone on, the the necks have gotten flatter and flat. The, the, the where where the fretboard is, it's gotten flatter and flatter, and it's easier to bend and whatnot. With those old fenders, they're they're there's a little arched, and the radius is like seven and a quarter is what they call it. So there's a lot of fight when you bend it. And I started to develop just a gnarly case of tendonitis at, from, from playing so much, and we got so bad when we were tracking this record that we, there were days we just had to stop. Like I couldn't track the guitars because I was just screwing my hands up, and it was the first time where I realized, geez, you know, imagine life if you couldn't play. Imagine if you hurt yourself or imagine if, you know, just through time, your 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 hands don't work, you know, and that that was something that was a real epiphany in a sense that that uh, don't take those don't take any of that for granted. And every day that you can play, uh, you know, take take advantage of that and enjoy it for sure. When you've been on stage with Slash, there's there's rare times where maybe a song or two where you'll bang out some rhythm guitar at some point in the show. But for the most part, you're out there purely as the front man with no guitar for the bulk of the set. Is that hard for you? Is that awkward for you to front without having a guitar around your neck? Do you feel like, at least initially, were you kind of like, well, what do, you know, what do I do? You know, jazz hands, like, what am I doing? Because I would imagine that guitar feels like a safety net at some point for some people, I would think. 
Yeah, it basically feel, it's like uh, going out there the first, and I first experienced it with Alter Bridge because on that on that first album cycle, it was without a, most of it was without a guitar, and it did. It felt like I you might as well have just said, hey, "Miles, take your pants off and walk out on stage." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was really weird. And to be and you and I have kind of talked about this before. If there's a way, because of initially, look, you basically it was a songwriter, singer songwriter guy who was who was drafted into this position to be a frontman. Being a front man is very different than being a songwriter. And so the first, I would really, I would say the first, like, like definitely the first album cycle with Alter Bridge, definitely the first few album cycles with Slash, I was still learning how to be a front man, how to be comfortable without a guitar. And, it, and occasionally something will come up like in my feed from that era and I can't, I can't watch it. I mean, it's so uncomfortable. It's just like, oh man, just please, you know, oh. <laughs> If there's a way, if there was a way of scrubbing all of that from the internet, I would do it in a New York minute. I mean, I just, it's just like, you know, I just what like watch the, I mean, goodness, goodness gracious, watch the, uh, watch the first video Alter Bridge ever did. I had this song, Open Your, Open Your Eyes, I think it's called. And, and just watch, like, I didn't even have a mic as a prop. So I'm trying to like do all this stuff and be like, and it's just. I just whoa. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get into the. I didn't get in on on the Alter Bridge uh, train, and and I'm on it hugely now, as you know. But I didn't get on it until the third record, and because you actually gave me the third record right. when it came out, I remember that very clearly, and I was floored by it. And then I went and got Blackbird, and um, you know, I, and I know a lot of things on the first record, but that's probably the record I know the least of all of them. But why didn't you play initially? Did you uh, guitar then? I didn't know this. You you didn't the very very first Alter Bridge album and tour. You didn't play guitar on at all. I might have played on a song or two during the tour. I, I don't think they really knew that I was much that I played that much. And the story Mark always tells is that when I was staying at his house during it was when we were working on Blackbird, and he walked by the room I was staying in and thought that there was some somebody that I was listening to the radio or the stereo or something, and then realized that I was in there improvising and jamming. And uh, so I guess that look, I didn't want to come into a situation and be like, Oh, I play guitar too. And I was still the, the new guy and I was trying to respect the dynamic. And, um, and then I think that once we all realized that, Hey, this would help, I guess, integrating my guitar playing and how I approach things into that band would help kind of define, define what Alter Bridge was versus what the previous entity, you know, Creed was, you know, because you had, when you put those three guys together, the, the way they sound together, not just with how Mark plays the guitar, but how Scott Phillips feels, you know, his drum feel is so, his pocket is so unique. And Brian's one of the most incredible bass players. I mean, he's just got this thing that only Brian can do. Only Brian, Elvis will talk about that sometimes. Like Brian Marshall and the way he approaches his bass playing is so, so unorthodox, but it's so him and it's, it's brilliant. And so when you take those three and then you put a different singer in, yeah, it's, it still has such hallmarks of the, of the previous entity, but then once I started playing guitar and kind of doing what I do, then it helps define that even more and, and bring it into a, another realm. And I think that we all realized that would probably be, probably be advantageous. That's amazing. I didn't know that. So basically what you're saying is, is that Mark didn't even re didn't realize that you were an accomplished guitar player when he decided to bring you into Alter Bridge, that it wasn't until he heard you playing a little bit and, and you never really said, hey, I, 
I, I, I know you, you're not the, Hey, I play too. You know, you weren't that guy, but it took a little while for him to realize because what's amazing to me about that is one of the things I love about Alter Bridge so much is that that two guitar dynamic is so powerful that you and Mark on uh, uh, playing. And it's one of the many things I love about the band, but that was not even recognized in the beginning. That's, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm with you though. Like so many of the bands I grew up listening to, I just did a, something, somebody just asked me recently, like my, what my favorite metal record is. And, and I probably have a few, but one that came to mind was screaming for vengeance by Judas priest. And it was that twin guitar attack. You know, it was that it's that dynamic where, and it just sounds so massive when, so yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the, of the twin guitars for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have more time for me because I'd love to talk to you some more about the record. All the time you need. All right, man. I know you probably got a schedule, so I don't want to hold you too long, but we'll take a quick break. We'll come back more with Miles Kennedy. The Ides of March is the new album. It is his second ever solo album. It's fantastic. It is out everywhere tomorrow. Be sure to get it. We'll talk more with Miles coming up right after this break on Trunk Nation on Sirius XM Volume. Okay, we're back, and we are hanging with Miles Kennedy. His new album is out tomorrow, The Ides of March. And going into the break, you heard a little bit of the title track, which is an epic on this record. And I want to ask you about that, uh, Miles. You know, there's parts of that that reminded me almost of Rush. The uh, There's almost a prog element. I, there's There's a certain section of the song that has a very, like, Rush-type feel to it. But tell me a little bit about the title track um, and writing it. And I mean, it's, it's epic. It's, it's awesome. I mean, uh, what were the influences for that? What were you channeling there? Well, I guess that that's an, that's an interesting question because there was no, in the genesis of it, there was no intention. It was really informed by a dream that I had. Uh, I was just kind of waking up and I was still kind of in that weird dream state where you're, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to explain that, that, that from a psychological standpoint, what's happening, but it seems there's a lot of clarity and I've had melodies come to mind that way in the past. Uh, and I just heard it. We'll just be on the blue horizon. And I, I didn't have the lyric, but I heard that melody and I heard the chord progression and I'm laying there staring at the ceiling going, well, Hmm, is this one worth, you know, I'm so warm and comfy in my bed right now. I really don't want to get up, but this could be something. So I got up and I documented it and just set it aside. And then when I revisited Wait, wait, how do you document it? Let me jump in. How is, how, are you the guy that goes to the notes section on the phone or how, yes. or do you get the guitar? How, how do you document yeah, so I got up and I went in and found a guitar in the house and grabbed my phone and went to the voice memo section and just spent about a half hour on it, came up with the please da 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 and I had that part that I added as well in that sitting. And then I knew, you know, once I revisited, I was like, this could be something, something. And I so I felt like really going on a journey with it and it just I kept finding part after part that fit with it uh the intro part I actually wrote very quickly I was getting my wife was putting her her running shoes on and we were getting ready for to go for a walk and that that guitar intro thing I just played it real quick and once again put it on the voice memos came back and realized okay that could go with Ides of March this what was going to become Ides of March so yeah it was just a long 
long process. Some songs were written in a couple hours on this record, but this song took about six months to put together. And the, the hardest part about the song was that outro. I knew it could be just kind of a chill uh, album track, maybe a, a bluesy solo at some point and the song be done. But the, the more I thought about it and the weight of the lyric that was starting to evolve and, and the times we were living in and reflecting on that, I thought, hmm, we really need to we really need to chase this one down. That that coda, that outro is paramount. And so uh, I threw so many parts at that. I tell you, brother, it was it was getting so frustrating and I knew it just wasn't right. I, until I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in, when I'm filtering ideas in, if I want it to, to move somebody else, it's got to move me. And until I'm feeling either goosebumps or I'm welling up, <laughs> you know, I'm, and I'll be, I'm a softy. I'll be with music for me. I, so much of it, I, I rely on those two, those two, uh, parts of being a human. And, and when both those boxes were checked as I stumbled onto that outro. I was like, ah, oh, we finally have the song. The song is done. And then we were off to the, off to the races. But by that point, the song was over seven minutes long. Yeah, but it doesn't feel long. It's not fatiguing at all. It's not like, uh, you, you, there's so many cool parts to it. It's, it's, su it's such a cool track. And you know, I've talked to artists before who have told me that they've actually dreamt songs that they've actually woken up from a sound sleep and reached for the, the voice notes on the phone and actually dreamed a song. It sounds like you were like half awake at this point, but have that, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever like dreamt a song that you went on to record? Yeah. The, I think um, I, I was more in a, in a dream state when I, came up with the chorus, it, just the chorus for a, a little song called Standing in the Sun that ended up making it into onto the Slash record. Right. And he had he had that down in that cool chord thing. And we had been on tour with Ozzy, uh, I think in, was it 10 or 2010 or 11? And I, we were in Phoenix and I remember waking up and I remembered from the dream, you could be done, and I was like, well, that sounds like a, a hook. We got a, we got a document. Where's the voice? <laughs> you know, get your phone. And so that was, that was one that I think was more in the full on dream state, just as far as that chorus goes. And, uh, and that ended up working out well. Yeah. It's amazing for me, not being a musician and not being a songwriter. I have the opposite thing happen. So I have songs, people like you write, that I can't get out of my head when I'm trying to go to sleep. Like that, yeah. that's really a thing for me. Like I, I don't know where it comes from, but I have a really, really hard time shutting my head off. Like I can't wind down. I can never shut it down. I'm always thinking, I can't stop thinking of things, but it's really weird because sometimes for me, it's not even a song that I may have heard recently, but somehow it just comes into my head and I can't, I can't, I can't shut it off. It's just really a weird thing. So you, you know, it's the opposite. Like you, you can at least do something creatively with stuff right. that originally comes up in your mind, but I might be hearing, uh, you know, um, you know, Blackbird in my head that I can't stop and shut off, you know, it's well, a as weird a thing. As a songwriter, that makes me very happy because that and we're getting into your head. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you this about Ides of March as well. And I thought this was really, really cool. You dedicated the album to to two people. And um one 
of course, extraordinarily well-known in Eddie Van Halen. And the other, a guy that's very well-known in the rock community that we lost not too long ago, and that's Jimmy Webb. Talk about that decision. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy was amazing. I still haven't totally processed that loss. It's, it, it, it's yeah. any, anybody who we lost last year, given the circumstances, it was just so frustrating because I felt, felt like – you know, not being able to go to a memorial or something was, was, was frustrating. And Eddie, or, I mean, Jimmy was, uh, so first time I met Jimmy was at a place called Trash and Vaudeville in, in New York. I was probably, it was in 2000 or 2001. I was on tour and I needed some clothes to, for the tour. And I go in and there's this animated cool cat, just as rock and roll as they come, who, who, I got to know, we got to be friends and, and he was just, you know, it's funny hanging around that guy from that point forward. He just was a complete manifestation of what it was to truly be a rock and roller. You know, he really was the real deal more. So, I mean, honestly, more than I am for sure, because he, I'm kind of like this, you know, I, I put on a persona when I get on stage, but when I get off stage, I'm kind of a dork frankly and 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 eddie i mean eddie you know as you know jimmy jimmy was like he was he was cool all the time you know he was just cool. living breathing 24 7 rock and roll yeah. exactly exactly yeah, yeah. and and it was a really heavy loss for 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 the rock and roll world if you, you ask know me. yeah for sure i thought it was so cool that you did that you know i i remember one of my favorite recent jimmy things was and you were there i remember when Guns N' Roses did the uh, the first show of the whole reunion thing in Vegas, and we we were there together. We all went, and I remember Slash texting me the day before saying, "Hey, you know, get the buddies together. Let's go do dinner somewhere low key where we can all hang out and fly under the radar." So my buddy has the bootlegger bistro, and I said, "I got a spot. He'll keep it off the radar." We, you know, and Slash is like, "All right, t- you know, tell Brent, tell Todd, Miles, whatever, like, you know." get a table. We'll, we'll all go. And it was the night before the guns and roses madness kicked off. And I just never forget. Cause slash was like, um, you know, you know, just, yeah, like, let's not like, like obviously he was concerned, understandable. He didn't want to make a scene, he wanted to enjoy a dinner with friends before the show. So let's keep it low key. And I don't, I think you were at that dinner, but I remember Jimmy coming to that dinner. And when, when we were all trying to be as understated as possible, and then Jimmy walks in and there's no understated, he's got the cell phone out. He's like, hey, let's take a picture. What's going on, everybody. And he just sat down and took over the dinner in a great way. It was just, it's one of my favorite things I remember about Jimmy recently. I totally agree. I remember that night well. And he yeah. shows up, right? He shows up dressed like he's getting ready to perform <laughs> in Madison Square Garden. I mean, he's got the like leopard print pants on and the chains and the he was so freaking rock and roll, man. And he just did it really well. And and you remember how he would stand at the side of the stage when bands or when his friends' bands were playing and and he'd be rocking out and he he would get it's funny because after the show, he'd be just drenched like sweat wise it was, like it was he played as, exactly like he played <laughs> and and a lot of times he would steal the show you'd be playing on stage and the fans would suddenly be they'd look over and see this guy like who well I'm, i'd rather watch that guy than the band 
Yeah. For for the for folks that don't know who Jimmy was, like like Miles said, Jimmy, very very famous uh, rock clothing store in New York City called Trash and Vaudeville. W w the early days of that metal show, we did a segment with Jimmy at Trash and Va Vaudeville, and he used to always give me crap because I didn't do the segment. It was just Don and Jim that went down there and went through the whole. It was a, a, a remote bit, but I used to always say to Jimmy, I go, Jimmy, I'm the look at me. I'm the least fashion conscious person on the planet. Give me a t-shirt and jeans and that's me. I go, plus, look at me. You make clothing for skinny people. You're not going to have anything that's going to fit over my arm in that store, dude. And he would always be like, how do you come down? I'll find something for you. I'll get it. I was like, it's just not going to work for me, but you go at it, man. And he <laughs> lived it and breathed it. He was amazing. He he did. And you know, it's, it's funny what we all learned about him. It, so his, his whole angle with when he'd find you clothes is he would always if you so for me i think what i wear like a 31 waist or whatever it is he would always bring the 29s and it would be like <laughs> it would be the pants would be so tight you could you could you know basically nothing was left to the imagination and and, and that was his whole thing it's got to be tight that's rock and roll you know <laughs> My friend used to say about that, it looks like you're smuggling grapes, dude. Get some pants that fit. <laughs> a lot of, lot of grape smuggling going on with those pants, for sure, for sure. And, and needless to say, Eddie Van Halen was a, a no-brainer. I mean, the impact there, that was just something that was, I would think, uh, an automatic for you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for, for the, the afternoon that I heard eruption and and then a few hours later heard uh, a whole lot of love. I mean, so yeah, between Eddie and Jimmy Page, that was who kind of sent me on my way. Uh, yeah, that was just a, I mean, what, obviously, I mean, you know, I, he, for so many of us, he was the, the reason we picked up the instrument, you know, he just, he was, he was a genius. Absolutely. Did you know him, Miles? I mean, I know Mark has been close with the family for a long time, and I know Wolfie's come out to the shows. I I was with, I saw Wolfie at the last Alterbridge show at the Wiltern. But did um did you know Eddie personally or have any experiences with him? I just met him. He came to a show with Wolfie at the House of Blues when it was there in in Hollywood. So probably two thousand ten or eleven, and he showed up and got to talk to them a little bit. And so for me, that was just like, you know, that was, that was all I needed was just that, that brief interaction. And after that, I don't think we ever really crossed paths, but, uh, but that was a, that was a pinch me moment for sure. When was the first time you heard Van Halen? What was the first song? What was the moment? Everybody has the moment for you. What was it? Well, the first time I heard Van Halen, so I heard eruption into, into girl, you really, you really got me now in the, in when I was 13, but I'd heard just the radio station, a radio station had played. You really got me probably years prior. Uh, I want to say maybe like in 19 late seventies. And I just turned on the radio and it was at nighttime and it, it was probably like starting at the, at the, at the chorus and then went into that break section where there's all the noises. Now we all know that kind of what the, that middle section is kind of alluding to. I mean, it's, there's something very, primal and kind of sexual and and you know i'm a, just a child at this point and i just remember thinking what what is happening <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> what is going on here and then i just kind of forgot about it and then but it was when i heard 
you know, the, the drum intro and then that gen, that beginning of eruption a few years later, that, that, that's when I was like, whoa, okay. We're this, this is from outer space. What is this? Great. Yeah. yeah. You know, what I always want to ask you too, with the few minutes that we have left yesterday, of course, was the day that the rock and roll hall of fame nominees were announced. And with that, of course, there's always controversy who did get in, who didn't get in and all that. You actually have the distinction of having performed at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, you're not in it, but you performed at it because at the time when Guns N' Roses went in, you they were not together and you got roped into being the singer for that and having to do those songs. What was your recollection? Looking back on that now, uh, how'd you feel about doing that? And, and what do you what do you remember of the night? I don't remember a whole lot, uh, which is interesting. I think, um, look, it was, it, there was a lot of gravity. <laughs> There's a, that was a, that was, that was a, 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 an incredible thing to experience. But I, I think that initially I was very concerned, uh, <laughs> uh, just because, you know, that, that those are massive shoes to try and fill for a few moments. And, and so I chose to just kind of rework how I was going to approach it, which was, look, you just go out there and sing the, sing the songs and facilitate their moment and then just leave. <laughs> and so I remember by the, when we got to Paradise City, uh, it was towards the end and I knew that we were on the home stretch. And I, the only, really, the, there are only two moments I remember. I remember turning around and seeing Steven grinning from ear to ear, wearing a that metal show shirt. I remember you. he sent it to me immediately when he was wearing it. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And that was the moment when I thought, I'm so glad that this happened. Seeing these guys do this is just, this is one. And to get to stand that close and be in the thick of it and, and see and, and feed off of their, how elated they were. That was magic. And then looking into the audience at just as we, you know, as the, oh, won't you please take me home? You know, it was the very end. We knew we were on the home stretch. And I saw my wife uh, sitting at the table and like, I could see that she was like a sigh of relief and like, it's, it's, you, you know, it was, it was, that was a beautiful moment. That was, that was a very beautiful moment because she had spent the day earlier trying to, uh, we realized I'd forgotten like certain clothes, you know, I, it was such a fast thing. It happened so quickly. So she went out and found me some cufflinks and, and was totally looking after me. And she's such a, she's such an important part of, 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 of what I do. So seeing, sharing that little moment with her, who, by the way, she says, hello, she knew I was doing this. And hello to Selena. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so you're so, yeah. saying that that was a last minute call though. You found out you were going to do it late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, I think it was probably that Wednesday prior. I, I was at a it was on a weekend, I think is when they had the, the award show. Um, we were playing a, we were doing something, I think for, I think it was the golden gods awards and Duff was there and he brought up, I think he brought up the idea of, of doing it and would I be interested in singing. And initially I, to be perfectly honest with you, Eddie, I, I, respectfully said, oh, I, I, I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> and, no, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like I jumped at the chance and I, and after uh, about a day, um, I made it known that I, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. And then I, I, you know what it was, it was thinking about this was their time, you know, this was their time. They were going to get this incredible award and they were going to play their songs. And I was like, well, if nobody is there to, to do it, how are they going to, 
how are they going to, how are they going to, you know, kind of share this moment with the public? And so I thought, all right, man up, stop being such a, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you did a great job. I really, I really do. Um, Speaking of live and speaking of performing, what's the deal as far as live shows for the solo record? I know there's like four or five announced. Are you going to try to do more? Is stuff being routed? We just found out minutes ago, CDC just announced if you're vaccinated, no masks at all anymore inside or out. I don't know if you heard that, but that's huge news minutes ago. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Fully vaccinated, no mask needed inside or out. So that's going to be another big country like across the country. Like like early like an hour ago they announced it. So that's a great thing. I'm fully vaccinated. Uh-huh. I'm good. I'm great. ready to go. And there's stuff happening. So as far as touring is concerned, I, I mean, I know you got a lot of things going on. So just in wrapping up the whole picture as far as the slash stuff, I know there's some work that's been done there. I know Alter Bridge, you know, Walk the Sky, you kind of had that disrupted at some point. Now you got a solo record. I'm sure you want to support. So the schedule is pretty intense, I would imagine, as things get back to normal. How's it all going to play out for you? Well, hey, after just hearing that, I'm I'm very <laughs> I'm very optimistic. I can't I can't believe I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah, it just got uh, announced. Great. Oh yes. Um. So wow, I'm just jumping for joy right now. Um. Yeah. So hopefully, I'm going to be touring. You know, that's the goal. I guess I'll try and promote it as much as I can. I know I've got four shows at the end of June and we were and, and all of that was put together with a certain protocol in place. But now I don't you know, I don't know how things will will change. Uh, but yeah, hopefully I can for the remainder of the year do this and uh, take the songs out to the to the people. So as far as anything with Slash or Alter Bridge, that's going to be next year. Do you base you basically have the rest of this year for you, what you want to do with the solo record? Yeah, as far as touring goes, this year is 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 the priority, um, and then next year will be will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and 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 once again, hearing this, I'm assuming it will help facilitate bands at that, that you know they they play bigger venues and whatnot. So I'm assuming we'll be able to get back into the thick of it sooner than later, which is great. And lastly, I don't know what you can and can't say, but I know Slash has put some stuff on social media about the band getting together and working together in studio settings and all of that. So what can you tell everybody about another Conspirators record? Yeah, um, we are working on a polka record right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, Miles Kennedy, Miles Kennedy rap raps. I can see the big, you get one of those big mouse heads like that guy has an EDM, or you could do a rap thing. The the, the, the world's your oyster, Miles. <laughs> you know, we just figured it's a you know we're gonna kind of mix things up a little bit, uh, but no. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got lots of lots of new material. And, and songs in the can, as they say, and we're excited. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think we're all jonesing to, to get out there and, and do it again. So, and, yeah, and, and, and a, <laughs> a rock out in a polka, polka sense. <laughs> and Alter Bridge, I mean, the next move would be another record, or are you going to try to do some more stuff behind Walk the Sky? Yeah, I think the shelf life is, you know, generally when you release a record, you've got like a finite amount of time to promote that record so unfortunately that record kind of got uh, for lack of a better word sc- screwed uh so we <laughs> COVID screwed yeah COVID screwed so we did get to tour for at least you know about six months on it so it's better than nothing so next year we'll have to come up with a whole new record so lots lots more songs to write 
All right, man. We'll we'll keep dreaming them. Keep uh, keep reaching for that that voice memo and uh, keep bringing the great stuff. Miles Kennedy's new album, The Ides of March. It's out everywhere tomorrow. Buy it. It's great stuff. And I can't wait for all the other projects we just talked about as they roll out and hopefully things get back to normal. And yeah, send my best to Selena. It's great to see you. Hopefully, it'll be in person soon, man. Definitely. It's really it's always a pleasure talking with you, Eddie. You take care. Thank you. You too, Miles. Cool. Congrats on the record. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Up next on the podcast, it's Charlie Benanti of Anthrax. New solo album, his first ever, called Silver Linings, made up of cover tunes he did during quarantine. Anthrax are also celebrating their 40th anniversary with a series of great videos about their history now on YouTube. Be sure to check them out. They're simply called Anthrax 40. Here's Charlie to tell us a little bit about that and his album and some of the artists he covered and why he covered those artists on our second interview on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Now we go to, uh, well, we just talked to a guy who's 13 hours ahead. I think we're now about to talk to a guy who's just about an hour behind. Uh, we stay in the U.S. this time around. And welcome from Anthrax, Charlie Benanti. Charlie! Hey, Ed. How are you? Good, man. I was just talking to Marty for a while. It's just, uh, what a career he's got going on in Japan. Have you ever seen him when you've gone over there? I've seen him uh, play. Uh, they they did like two shows with us. Um, his band is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. A really really good band. He actually gives the band more like uh, like it's, I give him a lot of credit for that because he's as a, he's a solo act and it's his name. But he really lets all those people in his band take a lot of the spotlight, and I think it's amazing. Yeah, he lets them shine for sure. But he's like a media like uh, darling there in Japan. He does like TV shows and he's like, uh, you know, he said there's a lot of people there that know him for stuff that's not even related to music, which is incredible to me. Yeah, I know. And he's always, um, uh, you know, been in touch with the, you know, the Japanese culture and uh, for years. So he speaks, you know, Japanese. So he's uh, he's lived there forever and he's a. we we won't even talk about his guitar playing so uh <laughs> we know that's awesome too <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and and like all of us a fellow kiss disciple so he's uh you know always uh in lockstep with everybody as far as the kiss stuff is concerned that's for sure yeah he's part of that family yep for sure <laughs> so listen man i think what you did here is really cool when everybody was in this lockdown mode which for some people is still continuing but for the most part is loosened greatly everybody over the last year or so did these quarantine videos and stuff online where they got together with other people covered songs you really dove into that in a big way and when all of that was happening and everybody was doing live streams I was wondering out loud, I wonder what happens to this stuff when we come out of this pandemic and if there's a way, because there was so much of it going on when people really were immersed in it, if there's a way to put another spotlight on this stuff. And you've done exactly that because you've taken all the songs you've done with other people and all the covers and put them out in one concise record called Silver Lining. So was that the idea for you after you these started to compile that you said, hey, this actually would make a cool record? Uh, no, it actually didn't work out that way. It was um, people asking me all the time, are you going to put this out? 
like a complete set of these, uh, you know, and I was like, no, no, it's, this is all it is. I'm just doing it this way to keep myself entertained and keep, you know, people entertained because the response I was getting was, was amazing. Like people loved it. Um, and again, this started back in February, March for me when uh, lockdown over here in America hit and I was losing my mind. Um, and I was dealing with like, uh, you know, Neil Peart had just passed away and um, man, I was just really bummed out about things and there was no uh, answers to what was happening here. Like how long is this lockdown going to be? How long are we quarantined for six weeks, six months, you know, how long? So um, I just started doing these these little jams and I asked Alex Skolnick and Ra who is in the band Suicidal Tendencies to do a little rush jam with me and I put it out and the response was like amazing and um I that did was another YYZ, one, right? another one Charlie, and I started to get yep. Charlie real quick that was YYZ right that was YYZ yeah so that was um, the very first we, one that was the very first one and then uh I believe we did uh Free Will and I got Brandon from Crowbot to sing on it because he could do an amazing version of Getty Lee. And, uh, and then it just started snowballing from there. But I was getting emails and texts from other bands like musicians. How are you doing this? How are you making this possible? And, um, you know, I had a way I was doing it. And there was no way we can do it live, pretty much, you know, because if someone had a, a slow Internet speed, uh, there would be a lag. So I had to do it in a certain way and then put it all together. So interesting. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but you, it, this all started with Rush, but you didn't actually include any of the Rush tunes on here, did you? No, no, no. There's no Rush songs on this one because it would have taken up half the record. Um, <laughs> and all the Rush songs will be out for Record Store Day in November, a whole Rush EP of just oh, is that Rush right? songs. So you are going to put them out, but just as its own thing. Yeah, because it didn't fit on this. And like I said, it would have taken up half the record. Um, so, yeah, so that's 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 coming out uh, for Record Store Day. So I'm really enjoying uh, putting that piece together because I'm going to have a really cool cover for it. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And this one, the Silver Linings that's out now, I mean, in terms of the artists you're covering, it's really, really diverse because you go everywhere from from Run DMC to Beastie Boys to Tom Petty to Kiss to Iron Maiden to U2. I mean, it's a really wide net of stuff. Was that one of the things that made it so fun for you? And when you paired up with the other people thinking, OK, who would be great on something like this? I mean, I would imagine that was the fun, the creativity to go so wide and then bring in people with you that you thought would really nail it. Exactly. That's, that was ex exactly what you just said was the whole thing that I was looking for was, uh, so let's say the U2 song. Um, I had Frank from, from the band Anthrax and I had Mark Osegreda from Death Angel. I always heard a kind of Bono-ish thing about mark's voice and i always knew my nephew frank could always pull off either the the edge part or the bono part and those two guys together did it so well and um i know i pushed maybe i pushed some people out of their comfort zone to do it but at the end of the day they were happy that they did it you know um and i was 
you know, dude, I was like, come on, man, we could do this. I know you could do it. And just paying attention to detail. That was the whole thing. I really wanted it to sound authentic and um, everybody just showed up and did a great job. Yeah. For, for the, the U2 track that you're talking about, which is the track that uh, I believe opens the record city of blinding lights. I was reading yeah. the notes. I was reading some of the liner notes about that track. And you talk about the, the biggest challenge on that was duplicating the, the guitar tone from the edge. Now I've mentioned this before you came on. Most people know you as of course the drummer and a great drummer that you are, but you love playing guitar. You play a lot of guitar. Did you play guitar on most of this stuff as well as drums? I played most of the guitar, piano, keyboards, uh, and drumming, of course. But, uh, yeah, I did a lot of the guitar playing on, on the record. Um, or it's otherwise noted who, who played on it. But for me, the, the, the whole U2 thing, the balance of the, that guitar ping pong effect uh, was uh, kind of difficult to, to pull off because there's two different delay times going on. So uh, once I got it, it was it was like there it is and then i just went for it and that was it um but yeah so many other songs like the mother love bone song i played all the piano the and all the guitars for that there's one song a, a band i've heard of that you cover on this record but i don't know them or their material and i know your girlfriend carla is a part of this track as well uh, from Butcher Babies, of course, Carla Harvey. The song called Teardrop, the band called Massive Attack. Tell me about that, because I don't know that band, really. Okay, so um, Massive Attack uh, are from England, and they're kind of a uh, kind of trip-hoppy type of band. They've, they've been around since the early 90s, and um, we were on tour there in the mid-90s, and our A&R person gave me an advanced copy of this of their new record called Mezzanine, and I listened to it throughout the whole tour and just was absorbed by this record. And um, it just, it's just such a atmospheric type of record. And that song in particular was kind of difficult too to put together because it wasn't like doing just a hard rock, you know, bass, drums, guitar, vocals. It was multi-layered. And I really had to push Carla too, you know, out of her comfort zone because she doesn't really sing like that. And, um, so that was one of the more difficult songs to, to create. And you do Rhiannon Fleetwood Mac on here as well. Now that, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that the song that became the big TikTok sensation thing? No, I mean, everybody Dreams. Oh, Dreams. Okay. All right. So I was getting the, I, I, I couldn't remember what was the big, obviously I know both songs. They're incredibly classic songs, but I, I just trying to figure out if that one was influenced by the other, but it was a different song that was the TikTok thing. Why did you decide to do Rhiannon? Uh, the story with that one was uh, um, a friend of mine, Mark Mengi, who uh, put together that Metal Allegiance band. Um, his mom had passed away recently, and that was her favorite song. And he hit me up, and he's like, would you do a version? You know, would you want to do a version of that? And I'm like, absolutely. I love that song. And um, Alex Skolnick was involved in that, too. And the thing about that song is I wanted to create a portion of it that we could kind of jam and maybe Alex can kind of go off a bit and play some lead and just bring it back to the original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green. And um, so that's what we tried to create there. 
Yeah, it's really cool. And also, I got to mention this. You've got well, your current Anthrax guitarist, John Donaeus, and Frankie, again, so two members, current members of Anthrax, in addition to yourself, on the Maiden cover, Transylvania, that also features our, our good friend Snake Sabo from Skid Row. I thought that was a really cool choice to do something so early with Maiden, do an instrumental. Talk about that one a little bit. Uh, that was Snake's idea, too. He wanted to do something, and I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, let's do a Maiden song. So we uh, we both said, like, Transylvania, that would be a great song to do, and it gives the, the guitar players, you know, a chance to just kind of play a bunch of lead guitar. And um, so John Denae and, and Frankie were involved in that one, and um, it's it's always been one of our favorite Maiden songs to, to jam to. And I just love that song. How could you not move when you hear that song, you know? Yeah, it's killer. I was so I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's so cool that you did something so early like that and did an instrumental. I think it's it's killer. You also did a a, a completely um, you know, you rocked up Billy Eilish's big hit Bad Guy, which I I thought was uh I I personally don't get the whole Billy Eilish thing. It's I know it's out of my wheelhouse personally from my taste, but I don't I don't get it. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm just too old, but I do think it's cool what you did to it and, and talk about the decision to do that, which of course is a very big current hit. Yeah. Well, that was because of uh, my daughter who is 15 years old. And a couple of years ago, I, you know, drive her to school, drive her back to school. And she would always play her songs in the car. And she would always play this song by Billie Eilish called Ocean Eyes. And I just thought, this song is so good, you know? How old is this kid? And she would play the other songs from that record, too. And I thought, wow, this is good. And then she released the next album, and that album had Bad Guy on it. And, you know, to me, it was just very infectious. I mean, plus I've heard it a thousand times in the car. So uh, there was always something about it that I'm like, there's something cool to this song. And... If I put a little heavy guitar behind it and just rock it out a bit, I don't know, maybe I could do like a remix of it. And that that was the, the basic story behind that one. And going through the record, I couldn't, of course, I had to save this for last, but, and of course, not one, but two Kiss songs on this record, uh, to no <laughs> surprise, knowing how Charlie and all the Anthrax guys and myself are with Kiss. But you did, you did two great songs and super deep tracks from the early years uh starting with all the way uh talk a little bit about the decision to do that one well the first one we did was was mr speed and uh had such a good time with it you know john five was involved in that uh he's involved in both of them but mr speed was always one of my favorite kiss songs that never became a popular kiss song you know i agree like, i wish they would have I wish they would have played that song live. I wish it was on a live too, but it just wasn't for, for one reason or another. And I'm like, I love this song so much. I want to do a cover of it. So got some friends involved in that who happened to be in this band called classic 78. Uh, uh, PJ from trickster is, is it is on that tune too. And it's the same lineup basically that does the other song all the way. Now, All the Way was, it, it leads off side two of Hotter Than Hell. And if any song should have been on a live, it should have been All the Way. I would have loved to heard it and hear it in that um, 
given that alive treatment, you know, that sound, I think that song could have been, you know, one of those really, you know, famous kiss songs, but, but it wasn't. And I just wanted to uh, pay tribute to it and, and do it the way it was on, on hotter than hell. Yeah. I mean, sonically, at least on Mr. Speed, and I agree with you, Mr. Speed's always been one of my favorite kiss tunes, rock and roll over. Maybe if I had to pick my favorite kiss studio record, uh, just to just great. But what, what's amazing about it. And I know Joe, and I know what classic 78 does. And I know PJ, and of course, you know, John is a great friend as well. But with with Mr. Speed, you I mean, it sounds like like really on both of these tracks, I mean, it sounds really faithful to what was captured in the original recording. Yeah, that was the thing. Attention to detail. No, it has to sound like that. You know, the guitar <laughs> tone has to sound like that. The drums have to sound like that, you know. Um, some people thought we were lip syncing. And I'm like, no, 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 this was recreated. Uh, that's that's how good it was. You know, with all the way, the Hotter Than Hell album gets a lot of a lot of uh, hits for being sonically not great sounding and weird and compressed and overmodulated and all of that. When you listen to Hotter Than Hell now, do you feel that way or do you kind of like the way it sounds because of the way it sounds? I'm, I'm so used to that record, the way it sounds. And to me, it always had a heavier tone than the rest of the records, you know, like the first album is too kind of polished, you know, the second album, uh, I felt it sounded, I don't know, man, just heavier. But uh, some of the drum tones on the record, I wish were a little better. But I think the guitar sounds are okay. You know, that Parasite, when it kicks off, man, it's, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you heard from anybody of these artists that you've covered, of the people themselves that did the material? Have you heard any feedback on your take on this stuff? Uh, some of them, like, we retweeted it, like, uh, and stuff, and I, I got a thumbs up by by a few, but um, but nothing from Kiss, actually. I, I thought maybe Gene would, would would say something. Maybe he hasn't heard it yet. Well, what's he waiting for? <laughs> I don't know. He should get out there and get silver linings. What is he doing, man? Did well, you? Uh, did you? After this show, I'm sure they'll know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Gene and Paul are glued to this right now. They they love listening to me. <laughs> I'll leave that one there. Um, did you did you do a physical release on this, or is it only digital? Uh, the vinyl is coming out. Um, and I just, it was supposed to be out uh, the 14th, which was Friday, and vinyl got delayed because of COVID and uh, factories and everything else surrounding it. So it's delayed about three to four weeks. So it is coming out on vinyl, double album. And for guys like me that still love CDs, you're leaving me in the cold. No CD, I'm assuming. Yeah, we're not doing CD on this one, no. Just download oh, and vinyl. That is heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking to someone like me. Heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ed. Yeah, I mean, just burn one for me and send it to me, Charlie, just so I could feel okay, like I have I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Put little liner notes in it, make a little booklet. Um, hey, so before I let you go, Anthrax, I got a bone to pick with you. And, and you and bands like Scorpions and Judas Priest, you're marking your anniversaries. 
from like when you first must have met in high school or something. And you're making me feel incredibly old because how is it that Anthrax is celebrating 40 years in 2021? Like Fistful came out in what, like 85 or something? 84. And um, Scott- Jumping the gun, man. He wanted to do it from the point of, yeah, meeting in high school and and, uh, starting it then. But I'm kind of with you on the on that. I, I think it should have been '84. I think we're kind of predating predating ourselves. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I think it's a few years too early. Yeah, I just. I mean, I've known you guys since the beginning, and I'm sitting there like. 40 years, man, they're making me feel really old. That can't be. And I'm doing the math because I think most fans mark anniversaries of bands from the year that the first record came out. That's what most do. But Priest, a year ago, was trying to go out and do the 50th anniversary. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, rock a roll of sad wings. That's like 75, 76. It can't be 50 years. It just, you know, I bust balls about it because it just makes me feel even older than I am when I see that stuff. Yeah, it makes me feel older than I am, too, so I'm with you. <laughs> and you've been doing those cool uh, online videos. Uh, that's going to continue to roll out, right? The the Basically like a documentary yeah. series of the band on YouTube. Yeah, and then there will be a full, full-on documentary. It could be like three hours, you know, but uh, we have a lot of footage and a lot of great artists and stuff uh, like yourselves did interviews for it, so we're looking forward to putting that whole thing together. Yeah, I I am uh you know, I haven't watched any of them yet because I'm kind of waiting to for you to build a bunch of them out because then I can as they say today binge it and watch it all in a row. So it's cool to hear yeah. that eventually you're going to put it out as one concise thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would be uh you know, and it'll be lengthy, but it's going to be worth it because it'll tell the full story. These are just little snippets of uh a time period where it's fistful of metal and then spreading. And then now it's among that we're doing. Well, look, I love documentary stuff. And my complaint is usually they're not long enough. If it's good and it's compelling and I'm into it, I'll, I'll watch four or five hours of, of something. No me problem too. at all. So I'm, I'm looking yeah, forward man, me to too. I'm, uh, that, that Tom Petty documentary. That's like four hours is awesome. It, the Eagles so one. The, the Eagles, Eagles one is awesome too. Um, but so that's what we're hoping to do with this one and really make it interesting, you know, the whole story. And lastly, stuff starting to happen, shows starting to happen, festivals starting to get announced. I saw you guys pop up on some things. What's the rest of the year look like? Is it going to be scattered stuff? Or are you going to try to tour? What What's the plan? No, no tour. We're going to just do scattered dates and uh, just festivals because we're working on a new record. And that's to that's the most important thing right now. We really want to hone in on this while we can, you know what I mean? While we have the time to work on a record and then we'll go do a bunch of shows next year. So right now it's just kind of one offs and fly in dates until until next year when the new record hits. Correct. Yeah. Well, how far along are you on the new music? Uh, there's a lot of songs. Um, it's just getting together now to kind of play them. And um, and of course, you know, we we've been working on this comic book as well, the graphic novel um, that Z2 Comics are putting out. So that's coming together really well. And I, I think 
everyone's going to be really happy with that because the uh, the talent that goes in that book is just amazing. And as far as the as far as the record, the Anthrax record, so it's sounding like it's all written. It's just a matter of fine tuning it and recording. Is is it safe to say everything's pretty much written? Uh, no, it's not all written. There's, there's still uh, there's still some work that needs to be done with it. We are musically, it's coming together. Okay, timetable then for next year to be released. Man, I hope by May of next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And hey, the last thing, how are you doing as far as physically because we all know that playing drums as you get older is is it wears on you. It's a physical thing. We know a lot of drummers that have had ailments and issues and, and what have you. I know a few years ago you had some troubles. You missed a few shows. I don't know if it was carpal tunnel or something you had going on. How do you feel now physically as far as playing now that you're into your 40th year of doing it? I mean, I still feel good. I mean, I, I've been playing a lot lately, but yeah, I did have some injuries, you know, like, I swear a lot of drummers I talk to, they're, they're going through the same thing that I went through and I'm telling them, here's what you got to do. The carpal tunnel thing was a bitch, uh, but I tried everything I could to avoid the surgery. But at the end of the day, that's the thing that saved it, you know? Um, oh, so you did get then, surgery. Yeah. Yeah. I had the surgery a couple of years ago and it was successful and I don't have that problem anymore. Um, so yeah, that, as far as, um, that goes, it's come a long way, dude. You can't even like see any scar or anything. Uh, so if, if the drummers that I talk to, they're going through the same thing that I did. And I just tell them, here's what's going to happen. You know, I give them, you know, give it to them straight. Yeah. Cause I mean, the type of drumming that in some ways you pioneered, I mean, the stuff, you know, that, that early thrash stuff and those drummers, you know, whether it's you or whether it's Lars or, 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 or whoever, yeah. um, obviously Dave Lombardo, you know, the, the, the early guys in Megadeth, of course, some no longer with us, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the, the ones that are still doing it like yourself, Lars Lombardo, I mean, I imagine that, that playing the way you have to play to play that material, it's, it's, it's taxing as you get older. I would think it would get, be, get very difficult. It does. Um, and, and, you know, the older you get, the harder it, it, it gets. But uh, there's something to be said about the music that you're playing because it's uh, it's what's driving it. It's what's driving you. Like, you know, I'll play a bunch of shows and then I'll, I'll need that day off, you know, to just kind of recuperate a bit. But, um, you know, we're like athletes and we're going longer than athletes do. So, um, like I said, thank God to the music and and the fans just – it, it keeps me young to be honest with you well i've always said that and i mean that's why i was giving you shit about 40 years anniversary because i i and i know it's you know not that far off from 40 years but to me especially when it comes to bands like you guys who i've literally known forever and we've been friends forever it's like i still when i talk to you when i see you when we hang out it takes me back to being that kid. Like I don't process that I'm 56 years old and I don't feel that way mentally. And I really do believe that this music and being so immersed in it, like we still are, absolutely does do that. Cause I have friends I grew up with the same age and they're so checked out from this. It's not even funny. And I'm, you know, I still feel like I'm, I'm the kid getting ready to wait in line to try to meet kiss in New York, you know, <laughs> something like, like That's we used exactly to do. 
That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. And it's, it's, it's uh, this fountain of youth that is music that yeah. I, I'm always, uh, you know, like you just, you just mentioned, you know, you have friends who you grew up with and now they don't look the same as me. They look way older than I do. And, and I think it's because of this music this lifestyle, this excitement that just keeps us, you know, moving and keep, keeps us. It is the fountain of youth. Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's how you decided to handle your life too, because we all know this lifestyle, as you call it in rock and roll could go the other way too. There's plenty of casualties. People that didn't take care of themselves, look after themselves and are either no longer with us or in really bad shape. So you, it's the music and I think the, the lifestyle to a degree, but if you take the lifestyle too far, it works the other way against you. Yeah, exactly. Like you could be, uh, like I was at the rainbow the other night and I saw Glenn Hughes there and Glenn Hughes to me still Insane. looks great, you know? So in he found, he found it. He found that fountain of youth. It's insane when you look at and hear a guy, and even more importantly, hear a guy like Glenn. Um, I, I've said it before. There's those guys that I find them very inspirational. They're like freaks, whether it's Sammy Hagar or Robin Zander or Glenn Hughes or um, Steven Tyler. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. are in their mid-70s or early 70s that still so look great, so much energy, and most importantly, still perform and sound great. It's freakish. And when you see that, when you're like our age, because we're the same age pretty much, I mean, it's inspiring to know that you can still do that and be that good if you make the right choices. And for most of those guys, especially guys like uh, Glenn and Tyler, I mean, they did anything but the right thing for 40 years. I always say that shit must have preserved them. <laughs> because preserved them. That's right. That's right. It's insane. They, they, I mean, they, they, must have pickled them toxic. in the 70s. <laughs> But yeah, you know, and we even we mentioned Kiss before, you know, Gene and Paul, they're they're out yeah. there, you know, still doing it with uh, you know, seven inch heels on, you know, so it's uh, even harder for those guys. Think about yeah. that. And they gotta contend with the makeup and the, the costumes. So yeah, man, I give it up to them. They're 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 still doing it. Hey, you said you Yeah, for sure. You said you were at the Rainbow. I know you live in outside of Chicago, but are you uh are you in LA now? No, no, no. I'm I'm back. I was just there for for a couple of days doing a drum thing, uh, and it was like an in and out type of thing. So Scott and we went out to eat. It was it was great. All and, right, cool. Uh, and um, yeah. So yeah, I went to the Rainbow just to see what was up, and uh, saw those guys there, and uh, saw Glenn Hughes, and I'm like, oh, look at Glenn Hughes, you know. It's crazy. I know. And that new Dead Daisies record is killer. It's a really good record. So he sounds unbelievable on it as usual. Is the is the rainbow in LA feeling kind of normal? Is everything pretty much wide open there now? Um, there were people there, a lot of people there and they, you know, they were wearing masks and stuff and uh everybody looked like they were okay, you know. Everybody was laughing and stuff like that. So it was a, it was a good good uh sign. Good. Yeah, that's good to hear. Hopefully I'll get back out there and start doing my show from there because I was doing it every month. So hopefully that'll resume soon also. All right, man. Well, listen, yeah, I'll let you go. Go, well, go ahead. What were you going to say? Cool. I was going to say, when is that? When are you uh, back out there? I don't know. It's a, it's up to the company. I mean, I'm, I've am i been traveling and I got a ton of stuff coming up starting in June. So I, I'm ready to go. It's just It's just not my call. They have to make that decision. So when they say we resume the monthly stuff out there, I'm ready to go, but it's it's out of my hands until they give me the green light.
Uh, gotcha. Okay. Well, hopefully that'll be pretty soon. Yep. Hopefully I'm waiting on them. So we'll see, but, uh, listen, uh, good luck with the record silver linings. It's out now. And we just, you just heard us talk about it for a bit and check out the anthrax mini docs that are being posted. You're putting up what two a week, right? Two or three a week, two or three a week. And as anthrax goes through their whole history, and then eventually there will be a, a full, fully realized doc at some point. All right, man. Listen, um, good talking to you. I'll be in touch, and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up and hopefully hang soon. Yeah, man. Thanks, Ed. I really appreciate this. You got it, Charlie. Take care. All right, All right bro. Take care. Great stuff from Charlie, a longtime old friend, and also great stuff from Miles Kennedy earlier. Thank both of them for joining me. Again, those interviews originally happened on Trunk Nation my daily radio show on Sirius XM Channel 106 volume. Be sure to listen live every day, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Channel 106 or on the Sirius XM app. Nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern or anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. Be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk, especially Twitter and Instagram. Hit eddytrunk.com for music news. All my appearances as they come in are on the homepage as well. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Spread the word. Subscribe. Back next Thursday for another all-new episode. Have a good week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.